welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right. Good morning. Welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. I'm Beth Baker, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Billy Kingery, who is a professor in the Department of Plant Soil Sciences here at Mississippi State University. Welcome back. Thank you. Serial repeat offender on the show. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, um, probably won't probably won't be the last episode either. Offensive probably weren't. <laughs> <laughs> And today we're getting into, uh, you know, the understanding of microbial ecology and how that may change the way we farm in the future since microbial ecology is kind of exploding, especially when you hear the term uh, soil health. And we did a previous show, the, one of the ones we did with Lexi was called Soil Health is the New Black. So <laughs> you can refer to that one if you want to learn more about soil health before you get, dive deeper with us here in microbial ecology. Um, so we've had you on the show. We know a little bit about your background, but give us give us some more inform- information, especially related to your experience and interests in microbial ecology. Luck. <laughs> uh, as, okay, move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've mentioned uh, before that I, I see myself primarily as agronomy and the area within agronomy that I focus on is soil science. And so the area within soil science that is the primary tool that I'm working with, that we're working with, is this notion of microbial ecology. So I, I see that as I see a lot of things as a tool. Um, and, so, and, and my very close colleague and collaborator, Dr. Shankar Shanmugam, is really truly the the microbial ecologist so we hope that our collaboration builds it into uh, uh, a framework that we can um, that we can apply so really really when I say luck uh, the luck comes from two of the best teachers that I've ever had both postdocs Uh, one is Andre Simpson who is now in the chemistry department at the University of Toronto and Andre's work is where we really uh, uh, looked in depth at microbial products, particularly humic substances. Humic substances being a very important fraction of organic matter in soils. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in, in natural waters. They're all over the place where you get decomposition of organic materials. And, and Andre subsequently did some work when he left here where he said, look, What's driving this carbon that we've been looking at are the microbes. And I didn't pay a lot of attention mm-hmm. to that at the time. And then I got lucky again in working with, uh, I mentioned Shankar Shanmugam, work, we worked together as a postdoc, and that's where I got introduced, like, these are the organisms that are doing that work. Mm-hmm. And so that, that led to, to where we are now with the program looking at microbial ecology and its application to farming. Yeah, and that, you know, your, your kind of pathway there resonates uh, with mine. Of course, my career is much shorter than yours right now. <laughs> um, but I kind of moved into biogeochemistry like like you had, had been doing r- more so uh, earlier in your career. Mine, more nitrogen-focused, yours mm-hmm. more carbon-focused. Yes. But at the end of the day, when you want to know 
the mechanisms of how those nutrients are moving throughout the environment and changing from one form to the other as, as you go down the multiple roads that are the pathways that are there then eventually it leads you to microbial ecology and mm-hmm. the role that microbes play in nutrient cycling and so many other um so many other things in mm-hmm. the environment um so I can, and in fact, I took microbial ecology <laughs> from you, I believe. <laughs> so we'll just put that out there right now. <laughs> um, but microbial ecology is a hot topic right now, especially as I mentioned in areas of soil health. Um, so let's just, yeah, break that break down what we mean when we say microbial ecology for our listeners in the most basic terms, because that's one thing I love to do is just communicate these scientific terms in the most basic form mm-hmm. um, because we scientists love to put really technical words on yeah. things so that people know specifically what we're talking about. But then to everybody else, it's like we're speaking Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people actually have encountered microbial ecology um, a lot these days. Mm-hmm. And the way that they've encountered it is microbiome okay and probably um probably the way that they've encountered it first is the human microbiome and in particular the gut microbiome where there seems to be uh new discoveries every day of its role in human health Um, and and it turns out that these microbiomes uh, do all kinds of things and they're in in just about everything that we consider um, obviously, they're in soils. Uh, we have an enormous number of microbes that work with us uh, in a number of ways. They also make us sick, mm-hmm. uh, but they also contribute to our health. Um, uh, and they are in places like uh, the mucus uh, that surrounds fish skin, and they impart immunity. In fact, they're so closely linked uh, to uh, to fish to those organisms that they see that those things uh, changed and adapted uh, throughout the years together. Uh, They're species specific in Mm -hmm. in some cases. Uh, We have microbiomes where we live and work. So they talk about the microbiomes in built environments, different places of the room, and Mm -hmm. the conditions there can affect the microbiome and how it relates to us. So breaking it down either further what microbial ecology means in relation to that microbiome is the community of microorganisms. And so we talk about the community in terms of, of structure. And all that means is how many different kinds of organisms are there in it and how many of each one of those kinds are there. So that's what yep. we mean by the structure of a microbiome. So the other piece that goes with that, obviously, is what we've been talking about. What do they do? What are they doing there? So we talk about the functions of them. So for us in soil, they're, they're involved in the decomposition of, say, crop residues, mm-hmm. um, which would be part of that carbon cycling. Um, they can transform elements, uh, very active. We know a lot about what they do, say, for nitrogen mm-hmm. in terms of transformation of, of mineral forms of nitrogen. Uh, and fixation, people know about that in legumes because they know legumes uh, work hand-in-hand uh, mutualistically with uh, bacteria uh, to acquire their nitrogen from the atmosphere. So those are, those are some functions mm-hmm. that take place within this community of organisms. So then microbial ecology would be what ways does this community affect those functions? So if we're thinking about a, 
a bacterium that fixes nitrogen, what does the surrounding community, what kind of effect does it have on those nitrogen fixers? Mm -hmm. What does it do? Then you couple that with where, where I come in as a tool, or the way that I see it, is what does management do to that community? Does it improve that community in such a way that those functions that we care about uh, are performed better or more effectively, more efficiently, or do they send it in another direction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, as I was listening, I was like, oh, I could add, and I, <laughs> that, at the end of it, I don't need to add anything. That was, <laughs> no. yeah, no, that was really, really perfect for listeners that are, you know, whether they are familiar with microbial ecology or they're not, it was a very elegant explanation of something that's really complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as you mentioned, the connection to the human microbiome is probably the most personal connection people would have mm-hmm. to a mm-hmm. microbiome. Of course, we're talking about it mm-hmm. in this case in terms of usually soil microbiology. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but, you know, with the biology background and being a health nut, I <laughs> love the human <laughs> microbiome. But I'll let that go for this episode. We'll come back to that again. Sure. <laughs> Um, so getting back to kind of the role of microbial ecology in terms of soil um, and the role that microbes play um, in food production and kind of protecting the environment, especially soil and water. Mm-hmm. When we talk about functionality there, how does, this, how does the microbial ecology come into play in terms of microbes in the soil. Okay. Um, well, it starts with where you yourself come from, which mm-hmm. is carbon biogeochemistry. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the processing. So, so microbial ecology really goes hand in hand with carbon fixation, yep. both biological and the carbon fixation that we know about is photosynthesis. And so, so the products of photosynthesis are the materials that are then decomposed by other organisms. Mm -hmm. They acquire their energy and they can release nutrients and so forth. So the, when we talk about nutrient cycling, nutrient release, so you add compost to your soil and you know that it can provide nutrients. Well, what's the way that it does that? It's by this decomposition as the organisms acquire their energy and, 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 uh, and so forth from this carbon source that some of the things that they don't use are released that are then available to plants, mm-hmm. okay? So it begins there. So, so clearly uh, nutrient cycling, nutrient availability. Another way that nutrient availability comes up that's really interesting are some of the micronutrients like iron. We know that's incredibly important, but it's a micronutrient, meaning it's not required in large amounts. But iron's very reactive in soils, mm-hmm. and, it, and it becomes unavailable easily. So there are certain bacteria that can secrete some of the most powerful complexing compounds in nature. They're called siderophores. And some people may have heard about chelators and these mm-hmm. sorts of things in, in uh, garden management and, and so forth. And what these severe siderophores do is they chelate or they complex with the iron making it available to themselves, but also some of the iron that is complex can become plant available. So it can be an important uh, way that plants acquire a micronutrient that can be a little bit difficult to manage. Um, 
Another very important function is this thing that I know you're very interested in, which is soil structure. And we're learning all kinds of things about soil structure. And what do we mean by that? Probably rely on you to give the best explanation <laughs> of it. But basically, uh, it kind of comes to a simple question that we can ask fifth graders and sometimes do. It's like, how is it that the water can go into the ground, but you don't? How does it hold you up, but it let wa lets water in? Well, it has pores in it, but the framework is strong enough to support buildings and, mm -hmm. and, and all kinds of structures that we put on them, but it still allows gas and water to pass through it. So we want a very strong framework, and the products of microorganisms help. It, sometimes you hear farmers re refer to armoring the soil making a stronger framework so that rainwater doesn't wash it off or, or heavy equipment doesn't compact it as easily. And so it, it maintains that important pore space for water, which would carry our nutrients to plants and, and the oxygen that's needed uh, for uh, appropriate growing conditions. Um, so it's the decomposition that are the armoring products. And we used to think that it was the it was what was left over after decomposition. Some of these compounds and the crop residues that were really difficult to break down, and so that's the glue. Well, we're learning more and more that it's the good stuff, okay? It's some of these sugars or complex uh, polysaccharides that turn out to be the glue. So you say, well, how does that happen? I mean, if they're, if they're high-quality food, and just like kids want sugars and candies, they want them too, well, what happens is when they glue the particles together, they build aggregates. And as they're building aggregates, those compounds become protected. And so they're, as, as the soil becomes stronger, some of those, those gluing agents uh, become protected, and that's the way that we build up the organic matter in soil, as it becomes more and more protected from further microbial degradation. And one last function that I'll mention that we're looking at is this community of microorganisms can also contribute to what we call, and it's been known for quite a few time, quite a few years, of disease suppressive soils, mm -hmm. because they can these communities can harbor organisms that are antagonistic to plant pathogens in a number of different ways. So if we can if we can enhance that microbiome, that microbial ecology, the question becomes, can we move it in a direction that lends to more disease suppression? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and along the lines of when you're discussing the sugars and the, the polysaccharides too, um, I might have missed it, but just to clarify too for the listeners that those are not necessarily coming from the crop residues, those are secreted by the microbes themselves, correct? In we, a breakdown process? We would, well, in a way you would have both because right. uh, you have, you, you have uh, complex polysaccharides that are part of the decomposition and they, they are released, there's transformation, but what happens as the organisms grow and die, they become a substrate themselves. Mm -hmm. And so there's another source of those. Yeah. So there are, and, and then there are, there are secretions of certain kinds of things, but, but the way I think, think it's best to think about those are those are the really high-quality substrate that lend to a lot of microbial activity. Okay. Yeah, th and the reason we're going down this road for listeners is to connect you with something you cannot see, which is the microbial ecology, to things you can see, which is 
the structure of the soil, things we build buildings on, mm-hmm. and, and as you mentioned, that produce a crop. So mm-hmm. be, in a lot of times when, and I know because I've taken all these molecular sciences and I've taught them to some of my students, when we start talking about things we cannot see, mm-hmm. for some people that's very difficult, mm-hmm. very difficult to picture, comprehend, but um, these particular organisms that live within us, alongside us, in our soils, because they catalyze so many of these reactions, Mm -hmm. drive these functions that we need and can observe at much larger scales, Mm -hmm. that's why they're so important. That's why we talk about them and research them. Um, But, you know, I didn't want to shortchange to uh, this really lovely and brief kind of biogeochemistry slash ecology slash um, agronomic lesson um, that this is something we would pack into at a university into five to seven different semester long courses, you know, and all these different things, whether it's conservation, agronomy, That's microbial right. ecology. So not to, I didn't want to shortchange our listeners, too, of the complexity of these issues and to mm-hmm. think critically ab- about them as, mm-hmm. as, um, as we discuss them. Um, because then we talked about it before we, before we were even recording today that uh, we understand the importance of the functions of, of microbial communities um, in the environment or in humans. But getting at measuring that... Is like a whole other ball game. Like if you could imagine what one would have to do, depending on the scale of the landscape, to draw conclusions about where, how, when these things are happening. And I know you're you're involved in some research on that now. So, give me your take on how you even begin to approach some of these things. Even just it doesn't have to be a right answer on how you execute it. Just some of the things you think about when designing microbial ecology research projects? Sometimes we don't want to think about it because we ask ourselves, what is it that we're really trying to do? This is too much Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it is so complex. But when you're looking at these communities, um, if if you look into the literature, you see concepts or terminology like um, unculturable. Mm -hmm. So the way that we learned about uh, microbes early on was by isolating them and studying them. And the way we did that is we had growth media. So I would collect a sample, a soil sample or whatever, and, and, and basically we would grow uh, the organisms on growth media, on substrate, on food, that would be available only to certain kinds of organisms, not to everything. Well, when you're talking about a gram of soil can contain up to a billion organisms, microscopic organisms, we can't build uh, food sources that will allow us to isolate all of these different species, which would number in the thousands mm-hmm. for, for bacteria. Um, and so we don't have all of them identified for that reason. But we can study them because of the newer techniques that have come down to us from genomics. And so just briefly, um, People are are probably fairly familiar that we have these things called genes and roughly what they do. And when we think about all the genes of a given organism, we group that into a term called a genome. And so they probably heard about the Human Genome Project where we've sequenced 
the genes in a human being, and, and that's been done for other things. Um, there have been a number of genomes that have been done here in Mississippi State that are very important. One of them is pine trees. Um, so uh, what we do, since we can't take microscopic tweezers and go pull out a single-cell organism to study it uh, and to look at the genes in it, we use, we extract all of the genes that we can, all of the DNA that we can, rather, and we use terms called metagenomics, which is the, the genome of the whole microbiome or the community. And what we use the DNA for is to identify different organisms. So we use basically molecular scissors that cut out a part of that DNA that we know is bacteria. For example, uh, we also have some scissors for fungi, microscopic fungi. And then what we've learned over time is that these scissors can cut out a piece of DNA that will say, and when we, we obtain the sequence for that, the nucleotides uh, that build the DNA structure, and we sequence how those put together, a part of it says, this is a bacterium. And then a part of it says, oh, this is a bacterium that will be a left-handed pitcher or batter, or this will be a tall bacterium, or this will, will be a short one. Mm -hmm. um, that says, and, and basically what I'm trying to express is that these belong to different groups. I mentioned the structure that says, okay, these are bacteria. What kinds of bacteria we are, we don't know what they are. We just know that it's something hasn't been named. So then we look at those and we call them sort of operational units. We don't really have a name for it, but we can, we can see that they're different. And so we see the, the different kinds of these units, operational units, that are different kinds of bacteria, and we can count the number of different kinds of those. And to show you how complex it is, a half a gram of soil, which is a tiny fraction of an ounce, mm -hmm. um, the data that we can get back from that DNA would occupy a word file or a computer proce uh, word processing file of 12,000 pages. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so we can get a lot of information. That's the good part. That's the bad part. So how to process that, how to, how to do it accurately, how to do it meaningfully, and find the relationships there is a challenge with that, that much data uh, that's provided with that technology. Undoubtedly. Um, so important. Uh, but it does speak to the complexity and also some of the novelty of, under, of not only just having the molecular techniques to do this research, um, because biotechnology is, no, technology has been growing over the last couple of decades. But we're, I mean, up until before then, all we had was culturing. So now there's this explosion of not only, of, of really information mm -hmm. that we can start to begin to um, measure and understand and see, you know, differences in the abundance of communities and the diversity of communities and what their structures look like in different environments as well as in, in what the human human health arena is doing in human microbiomes mm -hmm. and how those different structures contribute to function and health and in the way that our bodies or environmental systems function, which is pretty incredible, mm -hmm. um, but definitely um, new information. And this is not one of the things like it's been in textbooks for decades. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah. it's, you know, every, every day there's someone that isolates a new sequence or discovers a new technique or a new way to 
isolate it with more precision mm-hmm. certain communities and certain environments. So it's I wanted to kind of at least convey the novelty and cutting edgeness of this kind of research. Um, and along those lines, you know, because this, you know, I know it's an evolving line of research for you too. How do you see um, microbial ecology growing in, in the next decade? And especially in relation to our farm production systems, because we're only kind of, we're not really yet beginning to understand how we can yet incorporate this information into farm systems, but, and I'll note that in the recent farm bill, they had a whole section included um, in the 2018 version on soil health and some experts think that thinks that that opens a, a gateway to even more microbial research like this is a flag to biotech companies that that funding streams and information um, towards micro microbial ecology and biotechnology and farm systems will continue to grow so just you know moving through this line of research for you, how do you think it might grow in the next decade? Well, um, after uh, that uh, laundry list of fantastic things we can get out of the technology, uh, comes you know comes a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, we're dealing with very small amounts of soil and huge amounts of data. So, how much of the variation? are we capturing out there? So when we look at a sample, how representative is it? I'm just going to stop for a second <laughs> to say, please, all listeners, take that, and and we should shout it louder for the people in the mm-hmm. back because that's part of the critical thinking about science and interpreting research. There's so many great things we can, we can learn mm-hmm. and so many things that have to be considered about the information we're interpreting. Yeah. So just, yeah, go ahead and repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, again, you know, how, how representative is the sample that you've collected? And then you can take it, you can, you can take that down another level and say, how representative is the DNA that you extract from that sample mm-hmm. representative? So there's layer on layer of complexity and things that you have to be aware of and, uh, and not oversell. Um, but having said that, um, I think we'll I think we'll get better and better at these sorts of things. Um, and the day could well come where um, genomic techniques, you know, along the lines of what we're talking about, can be part of a soil evaluation. Maybe it could be move into the realm down the road of um, of soil testing. Um, the cost for doing these sequences and everything is is. Uh, is going down dramatically. They're becoming cheaper and cheaper. So, as we acquire more and more data, we get we're able to analyze more and more samples. We learn better and better the interpretations to make of that data. Um, then we're we're within within reach maybe of using it using the information uh, directly, so that maybe the day comes where this kind of data can be part of smart farming, mm-hmm. uh, part of uh, artificial intelligence or neural networks where it's another data layer Mm -hmm. um, of information going back to some things that we talked about earlier the importance of information in farming today Um, or uh, maybe it helps us better understand some of our current methods some of our current say soil testing methods and how much do those reflect some of this additional information that we're 
using so that we were able to um, obtain more and better information from current techniques for assessing soils. Um, so I, th I think those are places uh, that I think that the lines of research are heading or could be applicable. Uh, but I think mainly the thing that we can do now is to say, is try to say what current trends do we think are likely to continue. It's, it's, it's hard to project what new technology, what new discoveries uh, can mean down the road. Um, for example, people have heard some things about CRISPR. Um, those kinds of things are likely to come into play. There's certainly places in terms of application of this whole class of organisms that are called plant growth promoters. Mm -hmm. And there are companies working on those. I think that's, there's been some success and I would look for that kind of work to continue uh, and to intensify, mm -hmm. really. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree and, and add to that um, you know, especially w working both uh, on the science and research side and as well on the extension side, well, the science can get so complex and so overwhelming. Um, but for that application side to really take hold in, in a farm system, too, I would, I would just guess, and this is no expert opinion, this is me just um, musing and pulling from different, um, different fields, that ultimately it's, it, it would probably look something more like a human health system where you've got diagnostic tools for a management goal, right? We use certain tests, even like blood tests, things like that, uh, to interpret the health of a human, to make recommendations and how they manage that health. So that to use some of the technology that could come out of uh, microbial research, microbial ecology research, it might have to be simplified into some sort of diagnostic tool that would then be an indicator for management decisions so that it can be applied relatively simple, easy, cost-effective, and in a way that people understand what they're measuring in a, in a, in a testing form that's been proven over and over again mm -hmm. and then can use it, right? Because we can have a ton of information and if we don't use it right, uh, can it cannot end well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I agree with you, and um, I I think um, I think we're already in a situation uh, that we can we can uh, we are um, not that we can get there where we can where we have more data than we know how to interpret mm -hmm. um, because it, it the, these te techniques. Um, are, are information rich and so part of the challenge and that's that's why coupled uh, actually coupled with with uh, microbial ecology um, is the notion of this whole area of work called bioinformatics which are which are uh, computer-based techniques mm -hmm. for extracting meaningful information out of all of this this uh, this data that we can acquire which is necessary because, uh, you know, as a scientist, it's, you know, the most important part for taking science and making it useful is the sound interpretation mm -hmm. and explanation of the results. Um, and when you get into this much information, that critical thinking in a, a single human being can pretty quickly be exhausted. One of the, one of the metaphors that we use is uh, it's not the most positive 
in a way, but it works. The, you've mentioned a number of times about the complexity of these things, and when you're talking about, um, you know, a tiny fraction of soil having billions of, of organisms in there, when you're talking about the relationship between these organizations, their function, and so forth, when we're doing research, we can't cover everything mm-hmm. at once. Okay, um, but it's boy, too do much. we want to. <laughs> we we want to do it, but in incorporating this into farming systems and so forth, our analogy is a block of Swiss cheese. Okay, so how is that helpful to think about it that way? When we're when we're doing research, we cut off a slice of that block. Okay, and that slice has holes in it. We can't cover everything. So what we hope is that over time, collectively as a scientific community, that we can put back enough slices so that we have a solid block of cheese, which is our farm, you know, is, is a way to integrate this as one component into sustainable farming systems. Mm-hmm. That was <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. We are going to end there, um, but we definitely hope to have you back on the show again. Thank you so much. Um, there's no way our listeners did not leave with <laughs> some new information today. Um, if you want to check out any of our other podcasts, they're going to be uploaded on um, the Mississippi State University Extension website, msucares.com, or my personal website for the REACH program at www.reach.msstate.edu. So look there for more episodes or other information on conservation in agriculture systems. But thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu. Dot edu.